Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. Um, uh, as Andre said, my name is Ian. If you're a visitor, or we haven't yet met. Uh, I'm one of the elders here. Um, and it's going to be a slightly different morning. We normally continue worship for a bit longer, um, but we will come back to that. You may know we've been doing the Alpha for All series over the last few months, uh, on meeting on a, every other Wednesday. Uh, it is on this Wednesday as well. I forgot to put that into the notices. So uh, this Wednesday evening is the penultimate evening of Alpha. Um, and we're taking a, a short break from the Greater Story series, which we've been going through, as we're coming to the end of this Alpha for All. And as we do in the regular Alpha, we'll be looking at today the Holy Spirit. When we do the regular Alpha course, we normally have a day or a weekend away. That's often how it happens within churches. Uh, it's normally separated over three uh, different talks or videos, but today is just one. So by two o'clock, I should finish and the roast beef may be ready by then. Um, now you may have come for the roast beef, you may have come for the roast, but we are going to talk about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Um, and a few weeks ago, in anticipation for today, uh, I'd just come off the back of uh, the New Ground Leadership Conference, which was all about the Holy Spirit. So I was very bouncy and enthusiastic, which I, I still am today. And I asked you a question. And that question was, how thirsty are you for the Holy Spirit? How thirsty are you to meet with, receive, be filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity? And today, my question is, are you ready to drink? Are you ready to receive and meet afresh with the Holy Spirit? Now, there across the spectrum of everyone here today, there will be people here that have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, have been filled continuously with the Holy Spirit, had maybe had a one-off experience a few years ago, uh, but today is for all. Today is for all, for everyone to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look at who and what the Holy Spirit is, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and how we can be filled. There's going to be a response time and at the end. We're going to have a prayer team ready to be pray, to pray for people to lay hands on people. And today what we're looking at, this is an important message for the church today. We must not dial down the movement and work of the Holy Spirit. We must not assume that the Holy Spirit is always working. We must pursue this actively pursue and often people can lean in two directions with when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit uh, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit they can be kind of very wary and suspicious and a little bit freaked out by it or could be completely over the top and a bit weird but we believe that the New Testament model for church is one that takes the Word of God the Bible seriously is the authoritative Word of God over us and that we as a people should be moving in, empowered by and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we don't just want to say, yeah, of course we're a word and spirit church. Now we, we want to take this seriously and actively pursue this. And I believe to live the Christian life, to do anything for God, to fulfill God's purposes for us and for the church, we must, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe this generation, 
if you're here today breathing, you are this generation needs a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we believe is going to happen today. We need it for ourselves to experience it. Our dear friend Ian Lane's, one of his favourite verses or most quoted is, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And today you can taste and see that the Lord is good. Now there's this uh, a belief called cessationism, believing that spiritual gifts uh, like prophecy and speaking in tongues ceased with the early church fathers or the apostles. And there's some great Bible teachers that, out there that believe this, ones that I really respect and will often read and uh, listen to, but I think these so kind of guardians of God's word will miss things completely. When it speaks in, in the word about this is for all who believe, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I wish you would all pray in tongues. Never cease praying in tongues. So I just would encourage you today, just for a moment, pray for an openness to hear and receive. Just take a moment. Just in the quietness of your own heart, Ask the Lord for an openness to hear what he has to say to you today. Now, for me, when this happened, this was a life-changing moment. This dear old couple, some of you will know, prayed for me, called Dennis and Barbara Hewitt. They laid hands on me. And I started speaking in tongues. And not only did this start to renew my mind and empower me for witness and for my love of Christ, it completely changed me. Believe it or not, I was quite shy. My children do not believe this after we've stopped and spoken to about six or seven people, different people as we come through Sainsbury's. But I was quite shy on it coming to, I could hold a conversation about football or construction, that was my safety zone. I mean, I still like to talk about football and construction, but I was worried about appearing stupid or ignorant. Uh, but when the spirit came, I heard this description at the conference the other week, it was like this blanket of love enveloped me and I just had this sense of security, acceptance. I started to realize who I was, who God had made me to be, and my life was changed forever. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't scary. As Paul brought that helpful word, it isn't some weird force that we should be freaked out by. This is not the force that the Jedi's get. This is not the force that I pretend to have when I'm with my kids and the supermarket doors open up in front of me and I go, if you don't do that, you know, you've not lived. This is not a weird force. He is a person. And if he is a person, he is someone that we can relate to. He, the Holy Spirit, is of course part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's helpful just to explain the Trinity before we kind of go into many different illustrations. It's helpful to have a definition first. So the Trinitarian God is one in being and three in person. Now that isn't a contradiction if he was one in being and three in being. Or one in person and three in person, that would be a contradiction. So what's the difference between a being and a person? Well, a being is that quality that makes you what you are. 
And a person makes you who you are. A being is that quality makes you what you are. A person makes you who you are. So what I am is a human being, in case some of you are wondering. Who I am is Ian Nettington. What I am is muscles and bones and tendons, etc. But that's not who I am. Who I am is a kind, caring, loving, and extremely funny person. My wife will testify to that. <laughs> so what I am is very different. Humans are one being and one person. God, the creator of the universe, is one being and three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, all equal, existing from the beginning. They are all God. Now, Jesus did say, the Father is greater than I, which some people use against the Trinity. But the Queen, may she rest in peace, she was greater than I was. She rolled with the crowd. She had a posse that followed her around. She was in horse-drawn carriages. She was the long, longest-standing monarch in our history. But was she any more human than I was? No, you're not supposed to agree with that. She wasn't. No, she was greater than me in role, but not in essence. And the Father, in the same way, is superior in terms of role than the Son. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the Son being subjected to him so that he may be all in all. He isn't any less God, they are all equal. Same in essence, and we also see God, as Paul mentioned, referring to himself in the plural in Genesis. And we see throughout Scripture, God in different personhood. I hope that helps us at the beginning. But we also see the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible, and this is not some New Testament phenomenon. And we're just going to watch a short video from Alpha that will explain it. The Holy Spirit isn't some vague supernatural force. He's a person. And I love the different words that the Bible uses to describe him. Words like comforter, helper, advocate, guide the spirit of wisdom, the gift of God, and the spirit of Jesus. So in this session, we want to look through the Bible and history and ask, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? The Holy Spirit was present at the creation of the universe. He breathed life into the very first people. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit empowering people for God's purposes, filling certain people at specific times for special tasks. For example, the Holy Spirit filled Samson with special strength to protect his people. He filled a man called Gideon to give him the courage to lead when the odds were against him. God's Spirit filled a man named Bezalel for works of creativity. In Exodus 35 it says, The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Isaiah and Jeremiah were filled to prophesy and deliver the very words of God. We also find through the pages of Scripture promises about a day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out in a new and profound way. The Spirit, who only came upon certain people on certain occasions, would soon fill all of God's people and make a permanent home in their hearts. In Ezekiel, God says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. And in the book of Joel, God says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. With the coming of Jesus, there was an increase in the activity of the Holy Spirit. Everyone surrounding his birth was filled. 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, is told, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. While pregnant with Jesus, Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself was full of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended and settled on him. All of the amazing things he did, he did by the power of the Spirit. One day Jesus read out the words from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I'm the key to all of this. On another occasion, while he was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's this rising sense of anticipation for the first Christians. They're waiting. When is the promise of the Father going to be fulfilled? It's like a champagne bottle being shaken, and then finally when they were together on the day of Pentecost, the cork flies off. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. Something amazing and supernatural was happening. People didn't understand it, so they gave natural explanations, like, they've had too much wine, they're drunk. So Peter got up and said, let me explain to you what's happening. These people are not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is the Holy Spirit. Peter wanted the crowd to know that this was what God had promised. So he quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then he says something even more amazing. He says, this is for you. The gift of the Holy Spirit, who once came upon particular people at particular times for particular purposes, is now for every one of us. One of the Greek words that the New Testament writers use to describe the Holy Spirit is parakletos, and it means the one who comes alongside. It's sometimes translated the advocate, the one who comes alongside to defend you. Sometimes the encourager, the one who comes alongside to encourage. Sometimes the comforter or helper. The word literally means the one called alongside. For example, when a small ship got in trouble on the Mediterranean Sea, they would send a big ship to draw alongside it to lead it to the safety of the harbor. And that big ship was called the Parakletos. In the Summer Olympics, the British sprinter Derek Redmond tore his hamstring while running the 400-meter semifinal. He fell to the ground in pain and it seemed like his race was over. But instead of giving up, he stumbled to his feet and started limping towards the finish line. And out of nowhere, a man bursts through the security lines, runs onto the track, and puts his arm around Derek Redmond. It was his father. His dad came alongside him to help him reach the finish line to a standing ovation of 65,000 people. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. In an even more profound way, he comes alongside us and helps us through every part of life. So hopefully that was uh, helpful. But Alpha also talks about how do we get to know the Holy Spirit? How do we not resist him or ignore the Holy Spirit? And this is really our main focus today. What we're talking about is how to get to know him, 
not resist him and this phrase that you've heard before baptism in the holy spirit and what i want to look at today what we're talking about when we say baptism in the holy spirit is rooted in scripture it's not something that's made up in uh, the last few hundred years and we don't just want to give information today but we want to impart something as well. There is a difference between information and impartation. And this is a wonderful promise to all of his children. It's a wonderful gift that is freely bestowed upon us. Not as we reach a certain stage or when we mature enough, but those who want to receive. It's based upon sonship. If you're a child of God, then you qualify to receive the Holy Spirit. And the first time the Spirit moves upon you and does a work in you as a Christian is for salvation. But then there's this second separate time when the Spirit comes upon you for baptism in the Holy Spirit to give you power to enable you, like we've just heard. You may not have been conscious of uh, it at salvation when the Holy Spirit came upon you, but for a second time when it does, you really will be. We must, what we mustn't do is dismiss this down to our own lack of experience. Well, this hasn't happened to me. I'm not sure about it. But I urge you to look at Scripture. What does the Bible say about this coming of the Holy Spirit? Because whatever we experience here must be based in Scripture. So when we come into the book of Acts at Pentecost, there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the big moments of Scripture. And we see in the big chapters of and big moments of scripture, it, it is supernatural. Moses and the burning bush, the parting of the Red Sea, Elijah and the altar. And nearly always in scripture, when there's this big moment, it is nearly always supernatural. Because God is a supernatural God. And I found this uh, very helpful little description from Terry in his book, uh, The Spirit Filled Church. Uh, he says this. The book of Acts provides the explanation and the only inspired report of how Jesus fulfilled his promise to his thirsty disciples. Only after he ascended to heaven did he become the one who would baptise with the Holy Spirit. It's important for us, therefore, to look into the book of Acts and be instructed. Sadly, some have suggested that we should not expect to receive explicit teaching from reading narrative passages. They have therefore taken the stance that the book of Acts is not an appropriate book for us to study as we try and discover what is meant by being baptised in the Holy Spirit. They would argue that doctrine should be drawn from didactic, i.e. teaching parts of the New Testament, such as the epistles. But this attitude thoroughly undermines the teaching of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Much of our scripture is narrative. And Paul explicitly argues, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. That's in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Paul is therefore declaring that narrative passages provide examples and were expressly recorded to instruct us. So, if we try to avoid the supernatural stuff in the Bible, and in Christianity, we should just cut out massive parts of that Bible. Whenever God breaks in, it is in a supernatural way. Christianity and the church isn't supposed to be a place where you just gain knowledge and information. 
It is about the visitation of God and encountering him. God loves his creation and he wants to intervene in our world and our lives. And we, we see in Acts 2, one of the big verses, when the promise finally came, John the Baptist in Luke pointed towards Jesus and also said, John answered them, all saying, I will baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus came, the one who the Old Testament writers were pointing to, the coming Messiah. He would be a descendant from King David. He would be outstandingly anointed above all others, and he would receive the Spirit without measure. He would not only be anointed with the Spirit, but he would usher in the age of the Spirit. Isaiah anticipated a time when the Spirit would be poured out upon us from on high. And God declares for himself, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offering and my blessings on your descendants. Until this moment that we're going to look at, a moment in Acts, as it was, as we've seen in the video, this Old Testament experience was restricted to particular people at particular times, like Moses and Gideon and Samson, the prophets, the priests and kings, that had all been temporary. But the day of Pentecost was the moment. The take-off moment that they'd all been waiting for. Jesus told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem. And at Pentecost, the Spirit came. The Old Testament Prophet John's prophecy that we've just seen about a widespread outpouring of the Holy Spirit was no longer a future desire, but a present reality. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. This is for everyone. It's not just for the appointed few, but for us all to receive. So let us read first in Acts 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is what John had promised back in Luke. Firstly, that Jesus would take away the sins of the world, which, you know, I don't think we have a problem with that. But he also said, I will baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with spirit and fire. So if we believe Jesus takes away our sin, we should also believe that he's the one that gives the gift, the promised Holy Spirit. And we come to him, Jesus, he's the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. And then we, we see then, after the coming of the Spirit in Acts 2, that there were many separate occasions when the Spirit came on other believers after they had already accepted Jesus as Lord. Because I think the kind of counter-argument might be that it all happens all at once. But we see throughout Scripture that it happens as a second occasion. Acts 8, 
from 14 to 17 says, When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them uh, Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. But he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There, they had accepted the word of God, been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then they laid their hands on them and they received. And if you're not sure, maybe you're even hostile towards it. Well, the Apostle Paul was very hostile. And then he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he then was prayed for by a man called Ananias, someone who he'd never heard of. Or, or before or after this event, but chosen to pray for Paul to receive the Holy Spirit. We see later in Acts 10, verse 45, whilst Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who had heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, and then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptising these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. We also see this in Acts 19. When Paul meets other believers, it said it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptised? They said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptised with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had his hand, laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So you see here, these are not apostles uh, that are receiving the Holy Spirit and prophesying. We see on several different occasions the Holy Spirit comes as a secondary experience and people know that it's happened. How do they know? Because things start to happen like speaking in tongues and prophesying. And what happens? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit is this. It is the love of God. God's love for you being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is what they're experiencing. They've experienced God's love, God's love for them and it's poured into their hearts. And then it seems there were what seems like physical manifestations because they said, look, what is happening to them is exactly what happened to us at Pentecost. And we read it earlier, there were tongues of fire, the wind of the Holy Spirit. What does this symbolise? Well, fire is like passion and purity and Sometimes when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they experience like fire within them. I mean, not literal fire, although the staff have had fire safety training lately, so you will be all right if something happens. But they'll say they feel like heat in their hands or their arms, and I knew it wasn't something to do with the temperature in the room. Sometimes it's like wind. 
The Hebrew word for wind is the same as spirit, it's ruah. It's like the breath of God coming into a person. And sometimes you see it, sometimes you see like, like see fluttering of eyelids or people breathing deeply, or even sometimes it's like somebody's been blown over by the wind. And these are physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit that they experience on the day of Pentecost and probably experience here because they're recognizing the same thing. Look, what's happened to them, that's what happened to us. Now, these physical manifestations are not what it is all about. It's about God's love for you. And while I'm talking about physical manifestations there, it's important to mention to you because it's good not to be freaked out by it, but to welcome what God is doing. He wants to be in control, not to possess you in a weird way, but he wants you to experience him. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we also receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He wants to give us good gifts. He wants to give you good gifts today. We can turn to 1 Corinthians 12 to look at a list of some of these gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by, by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Notice what we're seeking after, what we're pursuing is rooted in Scripture. We've been really praying and seeking after healing this year. Adam led that, the conference, that great, the Greater Things conference, to, to encourage us to pray for healing. Well, look, it's, it's in the Word. We want to be people of the Word, don't we? This isn't an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but some that we can get our teeth into, some that we can thirst for. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So we shouldn't be passive about this. When we receive spiritual gifts, this is not for our own good or our own glory that we you know, become sort of, have some sort of spiritual superpower. No, this is for the common good, for the building up of the church. Paul urged Timothy to fan into flame the gift that is within by the laying on of hands. Hey, if you want to receive this for the first time today, we're going to have a team here that will be just eager and willing to lay hands and pray for you to receive 
just give. Speaking in tongues can easily be dismissed, but I believe this is a gift for today, not just for the apostles. It's a gift that goes beyond their own language, their own limitations. We've already seen at Pentecost the disciples speaking in tongues. Paul talks about praising God and giving thanks with our spirit, 1 Corinthians 14. And we don't have loads of time to go through this today in the detail of speaking in tongues, but there are times when we just run out of words that are adequate to express to God. And tongues goes beyond our mental limitations and it offers expression of sublime praise from our spirit. We mustn't fear speaking in tongues as though we're being taken over and we're not in control. There's references to ecstatic utterances or languages of ecstasy, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 32 to 33, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So when we speak in tongues or prophesy, we're in control of our own actions and emotions, and when we pray by ourselves in tongues, we're edifying ourselves. We'll draw closer to God. And when we do it publicly, Paul says, we should wait for the interpretation. So how do we receive this baptism? We ask, we seek, we knock, and he will come in. This is life changing. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he gives us new attitudes, new desires, new ways of worshiping. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, you will receive power. And then he goes on to say, to be my witnesses. When the Spirit comes, like with Samson, when the Spirit came upon him to give strength to break free from his bindings, the Holy Spirit comes to bring us freedom. Freedom from habits, freedom from addictions that spiritually bind us. And the promise was that rivers of living water will flow from us. If you're here today, if you're a child of God, if you have given your life to Jesus, rivers of living water can flow from you. So, are you ready? Do you want this? And the amazing thing is, this isn't a one-off experience. When Paul talks about being filled in Ephesians, he says we can go on being filled. We can keep coming back to him again and again. This is a daily experience. We can come to him and say, fill us again. So if this has happened to you once or twice, that's not it. You can come to him again today. And if you're not convinced, you'll think, well, you know, I'll give it a shot. Probably nothing will happen. We need to come to him in faith and expect him to do something. As a way of illustration of ways that we could be to, with the drenching of the Holy Spirit. You could be like a cat. A cat does not like being drenched. It's been baptised here in water. And it hates it, and it doesn't want to experience it again. And this is not the Christian response to the filling of the Holy Spirit. Or we could be like a baboon. He sees this as a necessary experience. 
He doesn't want to get wet, but he knows it will help. He'll get him from A to B. He wants to avoid getting too wet, but it's necessary to empower him to witness. Again, this is not the Christian response for the Holy Spirit. But the Christian response is to be like a hippo. It's to be not a waterborne creature, but knows and wants to get completely immersed in water and cannot start the day without a soaking of the Holy Spirit, of being drenched and immersed in this soaking. That is the true Christian experience. You never thought you'd come to church today and be told you should be a hippo, did you? But to be drenched in him, have his peace and his joy and his love permeate our being, that should be our thinking of the ongoing response daily. And when we pray, we're already thanking him for what is going to happen. We don't need to beg him because he has already promised that he would come. And when we pray in a moment, let's position ourselves, not with arms folded, head down, but let's lift up our arms and our heads and ask to show him that we are ready. We are an open book ready for him to pour in and come and meet with us. Not the kind of, you know, bless me if you can type attitude. No, let's be open to receive. Sometimes maybe nothing will happen or it could be that you can feel completely at peace. That's okay. I had a story this week of someone that went to be prayed for the Holy Spirit and they just said, oh, I just felt nothing really happened. I just felt really, just really peaceful. That's not nothing. God is meeting with you in that moment. Sometimes it's like turning on the tap when the mains have been off. There's a few drops at first. There's a bit of glugging. The pipes are starting to shake. But if we keep pursuing him, eventually there will be a flood. Rivers of living water will flow. We're not under any pressure here to manufacture something. We don't have to pretend. God doesn't need our help. Some of you might say, well, what if nothing happens? Well, don't worry, it will. Go on trusting God that it will happen. Keep pursuing him. Don't go away disappointed. Keep asking. You don't have to speak in tongues. Some do. Some don't. But you can come to him today. What will be your response to this filling of the Holy Spirit? Can I ask you to stand? We are just going to ask him to come right now and then we're just going to sing a song and then we'll just come back and I'm going to pray how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him so shall we ask him We pray now, Lord, this ancient of prayers. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill this place, Lord, afresh.
right now. Come and fill this place. Come and touch dry and weary souls who are thirsty for you, O oh God. Come, Holy Spirit. Pour your spirit out. You know, you, you need to ask him yourself. So come and fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Just believe that as we start to sing this song, God is going to start moving amongst us. He's going to fill people. You might see some physical aspect, manifestation of that. But let's not be worried. God is moving. God is speaking. Let's lift up our voices and, and sing this song as we invite him in.